right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with me this morning. I hope that you've looked forward to being together this morning as much as I have. Got my coffee over here set and I'm ready to go. And I think that uh, the Father's got some good things to reveal to us this morning. If you've been following along, you know that this is part six of Let's Believe It. And what we're doing basically is establishing some strong foundation upon which a grace culture, ultimately, and a grace community, which is a, a group of people within that culture, that wider culture. And a culture is a group of people that accept, on some level, common beliefs and um, live out of some common denominators. A country can have a culture, an athletic team can have a culture, a school can have a culture. A culture is a group, a system of beliefs that people tend to embrace together. And then within that culture, there are communities that express the culture. So this morning, I want us to agree on three things before we start. And it's the three things that we've, we've uh, um, emphasized over these first few teachings, three things that I think if you and I can believe together and accept together that we're well on our way to building and being part of a grace culture and a community that reflects that culture. So let's, let's believe this morning. Let's come together and let's agree, first of all, on our foundation. The foundation of a grace culture is grace. Makes sense, doesn't it? The foundation of a grace culture is grace. And we put a definition on grace that I think is very workable. And let me just say again that one of the reasons I'm going through this, and I think it's going to look like it's going to take me 12 sessions. One of the reasons I'm going through this is to help you to get so firmly fixed in what you embrace that you're able to verbalize it to other people. That's a major step for most of us. When I first began to see this message, uh, I knew internally that it was right. I knew internally it was truth, but I couldn't articulate it. Have you ever been in that place when you know that you know that you know that something is right, that it's absolute truth, but you can't verbalize it. You're not able to explain it to the degree that some people can accept it. And as soon as they ask a question or challenge you, you just fold up because it's not, it's not really part of you yet. That's the process of crockpotting that I emphasize that when you don't understand stuff or stuff is new to you, things are, are just breaking and dawning, don't feel like you've got to run out and tell everybody. Just let it cook. Just take some time with it. So there are three things that we uh, started with that I think are imperative for a grace culture and then a community, which uh, the Digital Cathedral I see as a community within the broader culture that is sweeping the world of reformation, transformation, uh, we, we can call it a grace culture. I, I, I hesitate to put a handle on it because everybody looks at things a little bit different. And I don't want to box this in at all because I feel like the Father has got a long way to take us yet. So I don't, I, I'm real hesitant about putting parameters on things right now, theologically and in our beliefs. We need to leave them fluid. We need to be those wineskins that are able to expand as we receive new wine. But here's the definition of grace that I think is very workable. It's easy for you to remember, and when somebody asks you, well, I understand you're into that grace thing. What, what is this grace thing? You can say this. Here's the definition of grace. Grace is the unconditional love of God that is extended to us, whereby he embraces us and brings us into his very life. There's three strong components in that. First of all, it's the unconditional love of God. And that's what, right away, that's going to separate you from religion because religion always has a condition to the unconditional. So we say that grace is the unconditional love of God. It loves everybody the same. There's no 
ins, there's no outs, there's no favorites and unfavorites, there's no some that are predestined to have it and some not to have it. Uh, those that ask for it don't get it anymore than those that don't ask for it. It is just an imputed, unconditional love that God gives to us that has a result to it. The result is that he embraces us, very inclusive, very inclusive, nobody's left out. The Baptists aren't left out, the Pentecostals aren't left out, the heathen aren't left out, the guy down at the bar isn't left out, all your friends aren't left out, your family isn't left out. He embraces us and he brings us into his very life and that's what we're awakening to. So that's the definition of grace. That's the foundation, that's what we build on. Now we've talked about two pillars that we put on that foundation. <clears throat> the first pillar was this, it's a right concept of God. If you don't have a right perception of the Father, then everything else is going to be skewed. Everything else is going to be um, foggy at best. You're going to see through that glass dimly. You're not going to see correctly. The right way that you see the Father, we spent a whole session or two on this, is to see him as relational. He's always been relational, always wanted relationship with us. He's never, he's never uh, worked with us on a legalistic basis. He's never laid law down and said, if you don't do this, I have no relationship with you. Even through the Old Testament, you can trace from one scripture to the, to the next, through thick and thin, through sin, through obedience of the nation of Israel, through disobedience, uh, come over into the new covenant, into the teachings of Paul. You can see that always it's about relationship. And the father never yielded that relationship. He never gave up on being in relationship with man. I know what you were taught about Adam, that when Adam sinned, he no longer had relationship, that that endemic nature was passed down from one generation to the next. We were all born in sin, all born separated from God. That's one of the biggest lies from the pit of hell that has ever been propagated upon people is a sense of separation from birth. Can you imagine bringing that little baby home from the hospital, look into its eyes and say, you are a totally depraved monster. And if you don't change your ways, you're gonna burn in hell forever. That's not my father. My father is relational, always been relational. Never revoked image and likeness that we were created in. Never took out of us that, that stamp of divinity that he placed on us, that Paul recognized when finally he said, I have come to see the Christ that is in me that has always been in me. I didn't know it. When I was out persecuting the church, killing Christians, bringing them off to prison, I didn't know the Christ was within me. And there are many today that still don't know that. So he's relational above all things. Then the second pillar we built on this foundation of this unconditional love that embraces us and brings us into his very life is to see the character of that relational God, to see the character of that relational father. And the character that he has is love plus nothing. Love plus nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, put a stipulation on his love. It knows no limits, knows no time frame. You could say his love is even unfair because he loves those that we would say deserve it and those that we say don't deserve it. He loves them equally. He doesn't need man's stamp of approval to love somebody. Nor does he accept the projections of our guilt of our condemnation, of our wrongdoing, we project those onto a God that we create in our mind. And so because we feel shame and guilt and condemnation, we create a God that we think only rightfully will punish us, will be vindictive toward us, will separate himself from us. 
And religion is only too happy to come along and confirm that feeling. That's what keeps, that's what keeps the two things that religion needs to function. They need buying customers and returning customers. They need people that spend their money and come back for more. My father is a God of, of unconditional love. That's his character. He's totally relational and he's grace-based. Let me show you something from, from uh, the writings of Paul about this grace. I, I want you to really catch the depth of this because if you don't get the foundation laid down, when we put the pillars up, they're gonna crack a little bit because you're not gonna understand just how powerful and how deep this grace goes. It's gonna take you the ages to come to plummet the depths of his grace and his love toward us. Paul said it like this in Ephesians uh, chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And let me, let, me just, let me just read verses four, five, and six out of Ephesians chapter two. Now, I'm, we, we said that it's unconditional love that embraces us and brings us into his life. This is exactly what Paul says. Verse four, watch this. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. The word there is agape, it's unconditional. So he's rich in mercy. Why is God so merciful to us? Because of the great love with which he loved us, unconditional love. He has given it to us unconditionally. Verse five, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So even when we were jacked up, messed up, had no idea what we were doing, he embraced us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he alone made us alive together with him in Christ Jesus. That, that is so strong. <clears throat> that takes away every part that man played in this whole process. When we were dead in trespasses, he embraced us. Now watch how he brings us into his very life. Verse six, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you see the three elements there in verses four, five, and six that we put on the definition of grace. It's unconditional love because he loved us uh, with his great love because of his mercy. He embraced us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive. Then he brought us into his life and he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's the foundation that we can build the pillars of the right perception of God, which is relational. And then the character of that relational God is nothing but love. I have volumes I could say on this. We could go on this for weeks and weeks, but I want to get, I want to get through this. I'm very anxious to get back to all the things we were teaching before we stopped the bus to get on this. But I think I just know in the spirit that it's imperative that we really nail this down, especially for those of you that are coming into the digital cathedral that are new and also you old timers that you can let it settle in so that you can communicate and articulate with clarity what it is that you believe and what, what this community is that you have embraced. Many of you are outside of regular church anymore. You don't go to a building. This is your community. This is your church. We, and we probably have more relationship between the Sunday morning and the Wednesday night than a lot of you did going to the, to the building. So we could, there's a lot we could say about that, but we need to keep moving on. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to keep is going to keep uncovering layer after layer after layer of the depth of those three things. Grace, relational God, character of nothing but love. All right, let's read a little bit from John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and let me, let me pick it up in, uh, in verse 12. 
John chapter 16 and verse 12. Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now that's a, that's a strong verse to show that, show that revelation is progressive. There are a lot of things that Jesus had to teach that they were not ready for. <clears throat> Let me just say this. There's a lot of things that are coming to light today that people are rejecting, that people are saying is heresy. And it's not, it's not heresy. It's not false teaching. It's just the time that now Jesus, through the spirit of truth, can begin to show us what we weren't prepared to see before. There are so many things that I embrace today that a few years ago I would have not, I would have not received. I would have not embraced them because I would have thought they were wrong. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Now, if somebody had been teaching me and I would have crockpotted these three that we've talked about already, I'd have been ready to receive some of the things that we're talking about today. He said, I got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't bear them. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, all truth. He'll not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. That's one thing that the spirit of truth will always do. It'll glorify Jesus. When you're hearing teachings today, and there's a lot of them going around that have excluded Jesus, Jesus is not in the formula anymore, you can just take it to the bank that the Spirit of Truth did not reveal that truth. Spirit of Truth will always glorify Jesus. Jesus will, will always be part of the picture. There's no doubt about it. Then in verse 14, he says, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that is being declared that is revelatory today and there's revelation that's popping right and left, it will glorify Jesus. It will speak of him. All things, it says in verse 15, that the Father has our mind, our mind, all things that the Father has, everything the Father has belongs to Jesus. So Jesus says, therefore, I said that I will take of what is mine, which is everything the Father has, and I will declare it, I will declare it to you. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to finish up on this number three. It's the second pillar, but it's the third leg on this stool that I think forms the foundation that if we can, if we can get this down, if we can get these first three points uh, deep into our minds, and really these first three is just to get our heads screwed on right to the culture and the community that we're part of. That's what these, these, these three uh, points are that I'm making this morning that we've come through. It's just to renew our minds to unconform us to some of the religious indoctrination that we've had and to bring us into some new understanding. So these three points will get you believing right. Remember we spent, what, a week or two ago? We spent a whole session on if you believe right, you live right. These three, foundation of grace, relational father, character of love, totally pure, these will get you thinking right and these will help you to begin to live right. So um, once we have a firm I guess what I'm trying to get across this morning is once we have a firm Holy Spirit understanding of, of God's grace, of God's character and his love for us, and we embrace it, we're going to find ourselves as a community, as a community of people here at the Digital Cathedral and other communities around the world. Let me just say it again. We're not the only show in town. I'm not here to tell you uh, we've got all the truth. That's not, that's not the case. That's not the case. And let me say once again, don't believe what I say just because I say it. You need to search it out and become convinced for yourself. But the point is this, once we, once we begin to embrace these things, we're going to want to begin to share them with other people. I want you to be able to share concisely. It's not, it's not going to be the old evangelism share that we used to do. Oh man, I hated that. I hated being under that compulsion 
thinking that the guy sitting next to me on the seat in the airplane, that if I didn't somehow witness to him, find out if he had prayed the prayer, that his blood would be on my hands. That's what I was taught. That was a lot of pressure. I never enjoyed evangelism. Didn't enjoy the Romans Road. Didn't enjoy evangelism explosion. Never enjoyed giving somebody a turn or burn chick track. <laughs> just, just not down my alley. But what we're talking about is being able to share out of a lifestyle. Just out of the very presence you carry. You carry a presence. When Jesus went someplace, people were attracted to him. He did not have uh, brochures to pass out. He didn't have an advanced team that publicized. He didn't um, record videos and get people to come to hear what he had to say. There was something about the presence of Jesus. And there's still something about that name that draws. He said if you lift him up, he'll draw everybody to himself. What is it that draws? It's, it's, it's who he is. And because he's in you and you're in him, and you're as he is in this world, there is, there is innately that drawing within you that is, that is the life of Christ. See, you and he are one. His life is your life. Your life is his life. So touching the lives of other people with what we have is not going to be a drudgery. It's not going to be a bane in the butt. It's not going to be embarrassing. I was embarrassed to share the gospel, I guess because it was so confrontational. So you better bring him to a point of decision. It was like selling. It was a sales pitch. So the, the, the greatest privilege that we have, at least in my estimation, the greatest privilege we have is to live the Christ as us life before people just being ourselves, Just walking as sons of God, reflecting the life and the love of the Father and let other people see it. Let them witness it. The, the, the focus of the Christian world has been for generations on right living. The foundation of a grace culture or, or the, the focus of a grace culture is not right living, it's right loving. That's the whole focus of a grace culture. We used to feed at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because the focus was on right living, listen to me carefully. I'm gonna flush some of this out of you this morning. If you're, still, if you're still drawn to that, we got to live right, we got to do right for God to be happy with us, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what happened. In the church, we would determine what is good and what is evil. We would say things, let me just, let me pull some of the real common ones that are crazy. Smoking. Somebody smokes cigarettes, that's wrong. That's evil. You can't be a Christian and smoke cigarettes. Do you know what that is? That's feeding at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's you making the determination what is right, what is wrong, what is evil. That tree, that tree, and that's what the church has functioned on, telling you what is right and what is wrong, and you better keep the right and you better not do the wrong. Can you believe that there was a time in my life that I thought if people smoked cigarettes, they were probably going to hell? Now I don't even believe in hell. <laughs> That tree, because we, 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 we focus so much in religion on what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, that when you feed from that tree, here's what, here's what it does. It makes you very judgmental. So that when you're part of a community where the culture is, if you, if you have a glass of wine before dinner, if you have a glass of wine with dinner, or you have a margarita with Mexican food, See, today I say, if you, if you eat Mexican food without a margarita, you're not really enjoying Mexican food. But what that does, when that was portrayed as evil, that makes me very judgmental. 
I walk into the Mexican restaurant, I see the I see somebody from church having a margarita with their Mexican food, immediately I judge them. They're in sin. They're not living for God. They're not living right. See, it makes you very judgmental. Also makes you very self-righteous. I don't I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't even run with folks that do. Right? Makes you very self-righteous, makes you arrogant, gives you a lot of spiritual pride. And it creates the, that's where the insider-outsider mentality comes from. All us insiders, this is how we act. Remember I told you a culture is a accepted group of norms within a group of people, and then you develop cultures. See, the Baptist, Pentecostals, name whichever group you want, they have a culture. And then within that culture, there's all kind of little local assemblies and gatherings that reflect that culture. They're communities of the culture. So we developed a lot of communities that all fed from the, 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 the knowledge of, the, of good and evil from the wrong tree. Doing good and avoiding what has been perceived and made evil is 95% of what the church teaches today. Now the tree of life is the actual opposite of that. The tree of life is understanding that you are in union with the Father and all the assignment we have is to simply love people. Frankly, I can't change anybody. I can tell you after being, after years and years and years, decades, five decades of being a pastor, I never, I did not see very many people change through what I was hammering from the pulpit every week, coming down on good and evil, right and wrong, telling them what to do, what not to do, steps to victory, how to pray, what to, I did not see the lives of people change very much. Here's why. Behavior really functions around two things, right? Here's, here's the only two things you got to think about behavior. Behavior is this. Your, your first behavior is to understand and know that God loves you beyond any shadow of a doubt, irregardless of anything, his love for you. And second of all, all we do is with the love with which he has loved us, we love other people. You are able, and I'll probably say this three or four times this morning, you are able to love other people to the extent that you've embraced the Father's love for you. You can embrace the Father's love for you to the level that you understand this foundation of grace that we're talking about, which is his unconditional love that has been extended to you and his embrace of you. Do you feel embraced this morning? I feel so embraced by the Father. I'm never outside that embrace anymore. I don't even, I'm not concerned the least bit about somebody's behavior. I'll tell you what I really want, want them to know is that God loves them. It's the goodness of God changes our mind. And then as that grows in you, it's not something you have to force. It was so hard in church to evangelize because we were forcing it. It was not a, it was not a, it was not a life giving spirit that was emanating from us. It was a sense of duty, a sense of rightness. It was back to that tree. This is the right thing to do. And it got really full of condemnation. If you don't, their blood is on your hands. I want to read a passage out of John chapter 17. I want us to get a hold of the mission of Jesus and how he worked that mission and to see that he passed his mission to us. So let me read a little bit out of John chapter 17. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed. So this is, this is some good stuff to, to understand. Let me just Read a little bit what he prayed here. Just a couple of verses. Verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> Jesus said this. He said, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's a great teaching right there. All you 
if you want something to ponder and meditate about, ponder and meditate how the Father sent Jesus into the world. Did he send him in ill-equipped? Did he send him in poverty-stricken? Did he send him into the world sick? Did he send him into the world to be a fa to be a failure? Did he send him into the world separate from himself? Because however you see the Father sending Jesus into the world, <clears throat> Jesus said, in the same way, I'm sending you into the world. And he said in verse 19, and for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. All right, let me pick it up in verse 24 and through 26. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me for you loved me from before the foundation of the world. He loved you the same way before the foundation of the world, before you ever took on flesh form. He loved you. He designed you. He predestined you. Oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that sent you, known that you sent me. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You'll never know the love that he has for you until you understand the love that the Father had for Jesus. I think all of us say, we know the Father loved Jesus. I mean, come on now, of course he did. So Jesus is saying, I want them to know. I want them to know, this will knock your hat in a crick. He said, I want them to know that the same love with which you love me, you love them the same way. And I love them the same way. Jesus said, in the same way that you gave me a mission, back to verse 18, as you sent me into the world, he said, I'm sending them into the world the same way, right? I'm sending them into the world the same way. So what, what's Jesus doing? He's moving them from one tree to the next tree. He's moving them from the sense of, of what they have to do right and wrong. He's now saying, look, I want them to understand that it's love that sent me into the world. It's love that's sending them into the world. Actually, the ministry of Jesus was changed. Was, all it was was changing the tree that people were eating from. And he has passed that same ministry to us. Let, let me give you one more illustration. I, I think you need to see how Jesus moved people from one tree to the other tree. Because this is, this is a, a very solid ministry for us today. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35. <clears throat> it says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? What is the greatest commandment of the law? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the guy comes at Jesus from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's saying, what the commandment, the law. What, what is the best one that I know to do that I can keep to be good, to be righteous, to be good before God, to be, to be acceptable to God? Tell me the very best one. Now watch how Jesus switches trees. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like in it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how Jesus moved trees? He took him from what he had to do to understanding the love that the Father had so that you can love, in turn, love him with all your heart, with all your being. You'll never be able to love him with all your beings. In church, we were told, better love God. You need to love God with all your heart. But we were never taught, never, ever taught that loving God with all of our heart was a simple response to the understanding of the love that he has imparted and impacted us with. Then out of that love, he says in 
in verse 39, we will begin then to love other people. They just work hand in hand. Has absolutely nothing to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All has to do with the tree, with the tree of life. So the father sent the son and he gave him the ability to unpack parables, to teach, to be an example of living through his attitude, to show us the father so that we could see the father so that in turn we could see the love that the father had for the son so that when Jesus said, oh, I love that so much, so that when Jesus said the same love the father has for me he has for you. I meditate on that. I, I think about how much did the Father really love Jesus? I mean, how, how deep could this love have gone? And then I turn it on me. I turn the spotlight on me and say, you know, he loves me the same depth, loves me to the same height. There's absolutely no difference. The power, the power of love is the only absolute power that changes people. Nothing else. Hammering people, law doesn't change people. Restrictions doesn't change people. It's only love. And Jesus told us, look at this in that verse 21 of, of John chapter 17. Verse 21. That they may be one, Father, as you are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. What is the greatest tool of evangelism the greatest tool of opening people's eyes, of awakening this generation. What is the greatest tool we have? It's right there. It's the love. It's the oneness. It's people knowing that they are in the Father and the Father's in them, that they're in Jesus and Jesus is in them the same way that Jesus was in the Father and the Father in Jesus. It's one. It's union. Greatest tool of evangelism that we can utilize today is this tool of union. And we have not expressed that. So that you don't have to tell people union. You don't have to hammer union. You just live it. You live out of that love. You live out of that dimension. See, do, do you see a culture developing in this 21st and 22nd verse? That they may be one. Look at the culture that comes out of this. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. That the world may know that you sent me. That sets that culture. That's, put, that's the light that is set on a hill. That's what people see. The oneness, the union, the togetherness. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me. Oh, man. And the glory which you gave me. How much glory does Jesus have? Glory means honor, can be power, strength. The glory, the manifested presence of the Father. The glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. That's the culture. Verse 21 and verse 22, that's the grace culture. That's, that's, that's exemplifying the father that is relational. And that's showing that the only character trait he has is love. And the result is this. The result is verse 23 of John 17. That the world may know that you've sent me. You want to know how the world's going to know Jesus? It's through your demonstration. Not your efforts of, of showing it, just, just your lifestyle of demonstration of union, oneness, and love with the Father. Because you'll automatically love people. And you know what? That love draws. Love draws people like crazy. People are repelled by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they are repelled by us telling them what they must do, what they must not do. But love never fails. Love will get them every time. So that's, that's what a supernatural, unconditional, irrevocable, indiscriminate, 
outpouring of love will do for other people. It'll totally change their world. It'll change the way that they see. A lot of you have religious friends. Don't argue religion with them. Don't argue doctrine with them. Don't argue scripture with them. Just be Jesus around them. Just demonstrate the union that you have with the Father. It'll open their eyes. It'll awaken them. They will, they'll, they'll come at you with scripture. They'll come at you. What, you give them your definition of grace. And they're immediately going to say, whoa, what about this? What if somebody rejects? What if somebody doesn't believe? What if somebody walks away? What, what if? What if? What if? What about that guy? What about this guy? Are you telling me Hitler, that God loved Hitler? Are you telling me that God embraced Jeffrey Dahmer? See, they're always looking for a loophole to what God said there's no loopholes to. God closed all the loopholes when Jesus said it's finished. There are no loopholes to this. So go back to the start of the message. It all happens when we grasp the grace, the foundation of the grace. And, and the relational posture of the Father and the love that He pours out. Grace is going to show you. Here's what grace is going to show you, if you haven't caught it yet. Grace is going to show you that the depth of the love that you have received from the Father, that you really know He loves you with, that level, whatever level that is, and it's different for everybody. If, if you ever wonder what to meditate on, what to be silent about for 10, 15 minutes, I, I, I double-dog dare you to be silent, shut the TV off, turn your phone off, sit in silence, and think about how much God loves you. Don't tell Him you love Him. We spent years and years telling God how much we loved Him, trying to get Him to love us. I want you to, I want you to flip the script. I want you to take 10, 15 minutes, and once you do this, you're going, to fall in, you're going to fall in love with doing it. Just ponder how much the Father loves you. And is that love that you sense he has for you goes deeper and deeper and deeper until it until that embrace comes and you know you've been brought into his very life to that level you're going to be able to love and accept other people especially to those that you don't think used to think didn't deserve it didn't deserve it it's 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 far reaching it absolutely is far reaching um, especially to those that don't deserve it. I, I got I to read Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus taught us out of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And again, this, this is no condemnation. This is not guilt. This is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm talking about a flow out of your life this morning. I'm talking about a natural progression that comes when you know that you live in grace, that his unconditional love has been extended to you. He's embraced you, brought you into his life. He goes deeper and deeper. It begins to just signify, characterize everything that you do. And you then begin to demonstrate it to people that you used to think didn't deserve it. They were outsiders. We're not worthy of it. We're rebellious. Living down in the pig pen. Shame on them. Until, here, look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said you love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, here's how strong it will get. Love your enemies. <clears throat> love your enemies. Agape your enemies. Bless those that curse you. How long has it been? I'm talking to me this morning. How long has it been since I really did a blessing to somebody that I knew was totally opposed to what I teach, to what I stand for? To bless them. 
Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Watch that you may be sons of your father in heaven. You want to demonstrate your sonship? Again, this is not condemnation. This is not something you can just go out and do. You cannot just go out and bless your enemy with a good heart. With it, with it, with a good intention. It has to be a work that comes from the inside. There has to be an inner transformation before you can have a natural flow on the outside. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He said, "If you love those that love you," he said, "What what good is that? We all love people that love us. We all love our children. We all love our kids, our our siblings, our family." He said, "Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet your brethren only, what what are you doing different than what they do?" Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So real maturity. You, you wonder what he's conforming you into? He's conforming you into that passage from Matthew chapter 5, verse, verse 43 to verse 48. He's conforming us into that so that it becomes a natural flow out of our life. His, his life is expressed as our life. We love him like he loved him. You know what that means? That means we love the down and outers like the Samaritan woman. That means we love the up and outers, like Matthew the tax collector probably had some money. Tax collectors made good money then. We love the unrighteous, like Zacchaeus that was stealing and robbing from people. We love the self-righteous, like Saul was before he became Paul. We love the religious, like Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee that came to Jesus. And some think he was sincere. I don't know if he was sincere or not, but I, I know he didn't catch on very fast because religion was blocking him. It means we love, we love the immoral, like the woman caught in adultery. And we love those that think they're extremely moral, like the rich young ruler that said, I've kept every law my whole life. Tell me what I'm lacking. That guy was so self-righteous, but Jesus embraced him and loved him and extended grace to him. What you find with this message and what you're going to find with your life and this is why you're having some problems going back to church sometimes. <clears throat> you're going to find this message attracts people that religion rejects. So when you go into the church house, you're not going to find, you're not going to find those that grace embraces. You're going to find that what you now live for and, and the values of your life attracts those that the church rejects. That sounds like the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds like the ministry of a grace culture. Luke chapter 18. Let's, let's read another scripture. I'm trying to make this down for you as, as sound biblically as I can. All right. Watch this. Luke chapter 18. And let me read verses 9 to 12. And he, as he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Let me read this again. As he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Does that sound like 10 o'clock church down at the Goodwill Baptist Church or over at the Church of the Nazarene or over at the United Pentecostal Church? We're here. We've gathered. We're righteous. But we look at those out there and they need to get their act together. They need to get their life together. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed and said thus with himself, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this old tax collector. These are all outsiders. 
These are people that don't have it. They don't have the goods. I got, I got the truth. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Wow. What a message there. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So that, that, the problem that Jesus faced in all of his ministry, and the problem you're going to face loving everybody, loving the rejects. Jesus loved that reject. The, the, the Pharisee looked at that guy, the tax collector, as a reject. Jesus accepted the reject, said that guy's justified. Here's the problem. You're going to face the same problem that Jesus did. What you're now living for, and this is why you're having problems at church. You're going to find that what you now believe, inclusion, unconditional love, mercy endures forever, grace for everybody, love that is so strong that it rejects your rejection, you're going to find it does not have the religious stamp of approval. So when you talk about it, you demonstrate it, it becomes an offense, a strong offense to those that you're around. Religion talks about love. Religion talks a lot about love, but they're very discriminating in who gets it and who doesn't get it. Jesus got himself in a lot of trouble, eventually got himself killed. And a grace community, as a grace community, we will too for hanging and being around the wrong people, right? When you, when, you, when you become inclusive, and I'm a very inclusive teacher in case you haven't got it yet, I don't exclude anybody. When Jesus said it's finished, I think he reconciled the entire cosmos to himself. God was in him reconciling the entire cosmos. But because I've taken that position, I don't have any friends anymore, really. I have no, no people in ministry that hang around me that that are willing to, you know, fellowship, so to speak. And not that I, I, I really am looking for that because I understand that this is going to separate you from other people. In, 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 in Luke chapter 15, while, while you're there in Luke, just back up to Luke 15. Let me read the first three, three verses. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. That's exactly what's going to happen. The tax collectors and the sinners are going to want to hear what you have to say. They're, they're going to look at your life and they're going to want what you have. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained and said, This man, how dare him? He receives sinners and eats with them. How dare him? <clears throat> See, the people that Jesus accepted did not have their stamp of approval. So somehow your, your, your love and friendship with those people makes you as evil as them. So they put Jesus in the same category. See, when I, when I say that God reconciled the entire world to himself, that includes Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer, <clears throat> includes the worst person that you could imagine he reconciled to himself, then immediately they put you in the same category and make you evil and make you ungodly and make you wrong. They're going to look at you and say, that guy, you know what's wrong with him? He accepts and receives those people. He thinks those people are okay. The pattern of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus, listen to me, don't click me out, listen. The pattern of Jesus in a grace community is going to fit the same pattern. It's to love the immoral. It's to love the ignorant, to love the poor, the lepers, 
that were the rejects, that, that the, 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 the proud Pharisees would not even go near. Jesus hasn't changed his strategy. <laughs> and he said, as the Father sent me, we read it in John 17, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the same people. Sending you to the same girl. I'm sending you to the people that the church has kicked to the curb. Church has no time for. Church does not want to accept. Here's a radical idea. How about if we believe this one? How about if we embrace this morning? How about if we begin to extend? How about if we become extenders of that unconditional love that the Father has for everybody? How about if we begin to embrace and bring into the life of this community everybody? How about if we begin to act like Jesus, even if the Pharisees don't like it? Even if down at the church house they look on you with disdain. They look on you and say, I can't believe that you think those people are okay. That those people are right with God. That God accepts them. Let's, how about if, how about we do something crazy? How about if we just love people indiscriminately? How about if we love the crackheads and the corporate heads? How about if we love the ex-cons, the deacons, the gays, the straights, the immoral, the moral, the poor, the rich? How about if we just love them all? How about if, if there's any changes, any adjustments that have to be made in the lives of people, how about if we let the great adjuster himself do it? How about if we just expose them to the goodness of God, understanding that it's his goodness that will lead them to a change of life, to a change of mind? Here's what I've discovered. We've not been called to have an opinion on everything. We've not been called to say what somebody needs to do and what they don't need to do. We've, we've not been called to judge anybody. All we've been called to do, all I can see in the scripture that Jesus said is, look, embrace the love that God has for you. He said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, embrace the love that God has for you. You're going to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your life as you embrace that love. And then just love other people. We, I'm not saying we have to condone what people do. But on the other hand, I'm saying we don't have to condemn what people do. We don't have to make a determination if they deserve the love and the favor of God or they don't deserve it. What, what do you think would happen? What do you think would happen if there was a culture, if there was a community and all they did was love people to the strength and the depth that the Pharisees said that is shameful how you love those people. If we, if we love that way, you know what? We're in good company because that's exactly the way Jesus loved. While we were yet sinners, he extended love to us, embraced us, and brought us into his life. It wasn't after we cleaned ourselves up. It was not after we, were, we, we prayed the prayer that he made us a child. We have always been a son of God. We have always had the Christ within us. Can we all agree? Can we all believe together that this is how love will win the world? Love never fails. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not by your right theology, by your right eschatology, by your right hermeneutics, and I'm just throwing out some technical terms there. He said that's, that's not how they're going to do it. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. How, they'll see, what is the disciple? A disciple is a, is a follower of Jesus. It's a disciplined learner. It's one that has attached himself to the master. He said, 
they're going to see what you're attached to. They're going to see me and you as one. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. One way, what? Because of the love you have one for another. That means we love those that we think are unlovely. We, those that we think don't deserve it. That means the Baptists are going to have to love the Pentecostals. That means the Presbyterians are going to have to love the Methodists. That means they're all going to have to love those people that want no part of the church, never been in church, have no idea what church is about or religion. There's one thing that will win the world. It's understanding the grace, the character, and the love that God demonstrated through Jesus and he has made totally, not just available to us, but has embraced us with it and has said, you're in. Amen? All right. I think that's a good place to stop this morning. Next week, we want to pick it up and we're, we're going to go on and talk about this next pillar, which is pillar three. And it's going to be the pillar of inclusion. This is going to be strong. This is, this is going to separate the religious from the spiritual. This is going to separate the sons of God from the pretenders. The pillar of inclusion. All right, we've got two pillars down so far. Knowing the right perception of the Father and understanding his character. And we're going to go on to uh, pillar number three coming up this next week. Don't forget to be with me Wednesday night for the secret place and father i just pray over every person that's watching the digital cathedral today father i ask that this word would sink deep into their heart father anything that i said that was out of the way that is not pleasing to you that doesn't line up with your character or your life father i pray right now that you just erase it from the minds of the hearers may they embrace truth and father may we all grow and may we all um, appreciate the journey that you have us on in Jesus' name, right? Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday morning.